inviting, inclusive. Welcome to Brookside Community Church. give you a second before we read Matthew to spend some time together. I know that I usually kind of give you a chance to talk a little bit, but I've got an interesting question. I know that uh, back a few months ago when I started the services, I started with these questions, and one of them was, if you were asked to share with other people what is the gospel, what would you say? So now I've got a different question to ask you. If someone were to ask you what you think about heaven, where is it? How do you get there? What is it? What is what is the notion of heaven bring to mind? What would you say? So I'm going to turn to you, ask you to turn to your neighbors and answer this question. Just spend like two or three minutes answering the question. Where is heaven? Or what is heaven? Or what do you think of when you hear the word heaven? Go. Okay, let's take a few minutes to see. Uh, if my microphone is working, we'll take a few minutes to see what kind of answers we got. Does anybody have an interesting answer that you'd like to give us? Anybody have, have something interesting to say to the rest of us? What, what, any, any interesting answers to the question? Yeah, Mark. Yeah, so he says his personal opinion is, is that heaven is a decision, a decision to uh, recognize God's will and, yeah, and not wish for something else, okay? Anybody else have a, yeah, Sarah? Brookside is heaven. Brookside is heaven. <laughs> Brookside is heaven. That's a good answer, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that, that'll sell your house. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else uh, have a uh, ha- have an answer? Interesting answer. Yeah, David. Mm. Heaven is the place of unconditional love. Yeah. Anybody else? He said, "Sorry." He said, "Heaven is a place of unconditional love." Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Sarah, so you can go back and say, it's not just your opinion. The people in Brookside think Brookside is heaven. Yeah, right. No, so Paul says heaven is in Brookside, but it's, it's, it's here all around us. So, okay. Any other interesting answers real quick? Pretty good. It's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Well, our uh, passage this morning for us to think about come from Matthew. Obviously, we've been reading through Matthew together. We're in uh, Matthew 13, and I'm not going to go through the whole outline of Matthew so far. Uh, if you've missed that for the last few weeks, then uh, uh, you're not going to get much of it today. As much other than just to say this, there are these interrelated, there's interconnected uh, narratives of Jesus. There, Jesus is acting and Jesus is speaking. And this is a narrative block where Jesus is actually teaching. And so this is the third one, and there's a whole series of parables. So you get three parables today. It's a part of this narrative block in the middle of Matthew where Jesus is, he's not sending people out. He's not preaching or he's not, he's not teaching through his actions. He's just giving them parables. So this is Matthew 13, verses 24 through 43. Hear now the word of our Lord. So Jesus 
put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? Where then did these weeds come from? But Jesus answered, well, an enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, well, then you want us to go and gather them? But the master said, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. But let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat and put it into my barn. But Jesus then put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it's grown, it's the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air can come and make a nest in its branches. So Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. But Jesus told the crowd all of these things in parables, and without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth to speak in parables, and I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples approached him and they said, Jesus, explain to us the parable of the wheat, of the weeds in the field. And he answered, well, the one who sows the good seed is the, the human one, the son of man. The field is the world and all the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are collected and burned up with the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The human one will send his angels and they will collect out of the kingdom all that causes sin and evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. The reign of heaven is small, like a mustard seed. It's hidden and intertwined with everything, mixed like leaven with wheat, with flour. It requires patience and time. Last week I talked a little bit about gardening, uh, and I hope you didn't get the wrong impression. I am not someone who I would call a gardener. Not by any means. If you want to see a great garden, go and visit Ken Chris West's house. I remember not too long ago, though, I uh, was helping restore an abandoned lot uh, and a flower bed that was in it. And I went about pulling and digging up all that I found that was really there. Uh, But there were these oak shoots all over the place. They just popped up everywhere. You couldn't get rid of them. 
And I went about pulling and digging, and I found this one that was really difficult. And I chopped it up, and I pulled, and it was like what felt like hours. And so when it was all out, I left it lying in the yard next to the rest of the yard waste. But little did I know this would cause such anger for the woman who owned the lot. She was angry at me, apparently, because what I had dug up was not an oak shoot or a weed, but a rose bush. Like in today's parable, even a rose bush sometimes can be hidden among the weeds if you don't know what you're looking at. Too often we don't know what we're looking at, and we don't even know what we're looking for. Sometimes there's beauty and greatness, but we can't see it because what we have been taught to look for is ugliness. Because we focus so much on the problems, we have failed to become people who look for promises. Sometimes our world does get overgrown with ugliness. We think it would be better if we could just burn all the problems away and start over. That, at least, is how we used to deal with the overgrown ugliness of the hills back in Kentucky where I grew up. I mentioned last week that I lived on this farm that we affectionately called Stone Hill. And some of the things that we did in order to prepare it to be luscious and fruitful. And one thing I always remember is that it took a lot of work to keep up. Early on a spring morning, one of the things that I loved the most was running down the front hill with my shoes off, having the grass run through my, the, the toe, my toes, the dew and the seeds all collecting on the top of my toes. I, I loved it. Near the end of the summer, the hills would get overgrown with thistles and ugly prickly things. If we didn't take care of it, by the next year, the hillside would be overgrown with briar bushes and thorny trees. So we had to do something. So to get the hillside back to its original beauty, we used the oldest and most brutal of all gardening tools, fire. It was a family affair. We started at the bottom of the hill and we poured a little bit of gasoline in the direction that we wanted the fire to go. And we all stood around with water hoses in our hands and watched as Stonehill became this palace of dancing parsimon minarets. We stood around with smoke in our eyes and waited watching to keep, make sure that the fire didn't go wild. For a young elementary school kid, this was spectacular. I was hooked. I mean, it was like fire. A kid, after the first time, that I saw this burning hill ritual, I was hooked on fire. One day, when I was asked to pull up some weeds around this large boulder that was, for some reason in Kentucky, boulders are like a monument that we just have in our yard to decorate it. And so I was supposed to, for some reason, I hated this, get down on my knees and pull the weeds from around it. Well, I decided I wanted to try it the easy way. I found one of those big squirt bottles of Kingsford Lighter Fluid in the barn, and uh, right next to it, you guessed it, right, there's a lighter and the lighter fluid next to each other in the barn. I mean, this was, this was exactly what I was looking for. So I went out, and within seconds, my stepfather ran to me. Usually he didn't have patience with me, but this time he did. Luckily, the fire had not spread very far. 
and I had only started a small yard fire. But once, see, the fire was out, he bent down on his knees and he did something I will never forget. He rolled up his sleeves, he dug his hands in the dirt to help me pull up the weeds, and then he explained to me the danger of what I had done. I had been so anxious to get rid of the weeds the easy way that I had risked destroying everything else. If he hadn't intervened, I probably would have burned down the yard and the trees and the flower and maybe even the house. But see, he wanted me to see that our work wasn't about getting rid of the weeds. It was about seeing the promise and the beauty that comes from taking care of the goodness that you were given, of taking care of what you have. After a few years of work, that place sprouted up into a just beautiful, luscious farm, and everywhere I could see that promise that was there. I couldn't see it at the beginning. You could see it later. See, we all face today, I think, we all face the challenge of learning to see and listen, especially learning to see and listen to each other. We live in a microwave, internet, get-it-at-your-fingertip society that teaches us to look for quick and easy answers to everything. But it takes time, though, to learn, to get to know each other, to see each other the way that God sees us. But our society, see, it teaches us that first impressions are what really matter. So we quickly decide what to think. And no one really has the time or even cares to take the time to really get to know themselves or each other, to really see or hear or listen to each other. Most of us have not learned the practice of listening to each other's stories, and we don't know how to tell our own either. So that means that most of the time, we don't have the ability to have any conversations about anything that really matters. There was this theologian, feminist lady at Drew where I went to school named Nellie Morton. And she said that once, she, she once said that hope comes from this great ear that it's at the heart of the universe, at the heart of our common life. And it comes alive when we learn to hear one another to speech. To hear one another to speech. The real curse, I think, underneath of the most important sins of our time, racism, classism, sexism, speciesism, you name it, it's not simply oppression or greed or power. I think it's the lies that human beings have learned to tell about each other and about the world that we live in. These lies that shape our imagination that convince us that we can be excused of the hard work that it takes to really get to know the beauty that's inside of us. Society, see, teaches us to look at our neighbors and imagine them as laden, as problem-laden rather than promise-filled. Along with the lies that shape our imagination of each other, we get this addiction to quick fixes. Rather than seeing the beauty of all that's around us, rather than seeing the world as filled with promises, we like to find and focus on problems. And we go about ridding the world of problems by calling down fire from heaven. We think that it would be better off if we were in a world without problems, so we're ready to burn it up and start over looking for quick fixes to rid the world of problems though we're like children playing with fire on a hillside the story of Jesus though it can be told in many ways 
Sometimes the story of Jesus is told by beginning with this image of a God who is like an angry old man, controlled, controlling the world that's full of sinful people whom this God is preparing to pour out his wrath on, ready at any moment to burn up a whole world and start over. Jesus, see, is then portrayed as somehow having this special connection with God. And so this God is willing to save some of us folks while the rest of the earth, the rest of the people burn. That's the story of an angry God, though. That, is that story consistent at all with what we've heard from Jesus so far? With the character of the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels? I think that's actually quite a dangerous story, to be honest. And it's not the good news. It's not good news at all. It's not the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an incarnational story. Go back and look at the way that the theologians at the early church always talked about it. Jesus is about incarnation. It's not the story of delayed destruction. It's, not, it's the story of renovation and restoration. It's the story of not giving up. The kind of love that you get on your knees for. The kind that you roll up your sleeves for. The kind of love that takes time and patience and getting your hands dirty for. The gospel that I think I'm called to preach is the good news of a God with a vision. Who can look beyond our problems and see in the world around us there is lots of promise. That's because the promise of God, as I understand it, is not about us at all. It's not our promise. It's God's promise. So here's my question for you this morning. When you hear the word heaven, what do you think of? Where do you go searching for it? And if you wanted to know what it would be, where would you look? Up? I mean, towards the sky, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the solar systems? I mean, I guess our modern cosmology rules that out. We're so much more intelligent than ancient people, aren't we? We know that the sky is not just a dome beyond which God lives. So many of us have just thrown the idea of heaven. Maybe we should just throw the idea of heaven all away altogether. It was a helpful idea while it lasts, but we know it doesn't exist. Or maybe if it does, it has something to do with the afterlife and nothing to do with the world that we live in, right? Of course, unless you live in Brookside. Well, before we throw the idea of heaven away completely, or throw the world away in order to protect the idea of heaven that we have, perhaps we should get a sense of what the Gospels actually say about heaven. Our passage today from Matthew is a part of a, the third narrative block of Jesus' teachings. It's a series of parables, and the word parable, like I explained last week, actually means placing side by side in order to have a comparison. The phrase, basileia of heaven, or kingdom, reign, rule, empire of heaven, however you would like to say it. It appears eight times in, the chap in chapter 13 of Matthew. Six times are in this week's reading alone. Six times the phrase kingdom of heaven is there. All three of today's parables open by saying the basile of heaven can be compared to. And the basile of heaven is like. Here in the text of the New Testament, we find Jesus didn't say, if you want to see heaven, look at the stars. 
And he didn't say, if you want to see heaven, believe in me and wait until after you die. What did he say? He said, if you want to know what heaven is like, look at this wheat. Look at these weeds. Look at these mustard seeds. Jesus, see, he didn't want us to look up for heaven. He wanted us to look down at the earth. It's like a mustard seed, tiny, hidden, time-consuming, hard work. It's like Jesus' ministry. The world is waiting for something big and exciting to happen now. But Jesus' ministry takes time. It's invisible, tiny. But it's nothing compared to the promise of God that Jesus taught about. This reign of heaven that is for those who devote their lives to listening to what Jesus had to say. Jesus' ministry, see, is like yeast, like leaven. It works quietly within and among us, hidden away, making an impact over time. But when it's finished its work, it will have transformed everything. What I get from Jesus' teachings is this. When God looks at us, God sees more than a field of weeds. God's not like us looking for a quick fix. God is patient and calm. And so rather than burn the whole thing up, God chooses to get close and personal, get involved, to show love and patience. Jesus is a gardener. See, in Jesus' teachings, God is showing us how to be fully the people of the promise that we were created to be. In Jesus Christ, we learn to be patient and persistent. Jesus shows us how to love in the midst of hate. Even when we look at ourselves and those around us, there is little to believe in. But Jesus shows us how to believe. Jesus shows us how to have the faith of a mustard seed. He teaches us to look around the world and rather than see weeds, to see promise. Jesus teaches us to say, there's a lot of promise in you, and you, and you, and even me. There's a lot of promise in this place. See, the parables of Jesus have a lot to say to us today, I think. And it's clear that God has gifted us with an immense power. And if we're not careful, while we go about burning up the weeds of the world, we will find that there is nothing left worth loving. And if we fail to listen to Jesus' teachings, continuing to look for quick fixes in order to rid the world of evil, we will find that we have unwittingly gone about ridding the world of everything that is good. But, for those of us who believe in Jesus, God has promised us a world filled with love and joy and peace. But see, this is more than hope. It's a calling. We can't bring about peace if the world, in the world if we're not willing to do the hard work of learning what it means to be a people who are peaceful. If we go about destroying weeds, we'll kill the wheat with it. For those of us who have been called by the reign of heaven, we've been called to see beyond brokenness. The ugliness, the violence, and the despair. We're called to believe that there's goodness here. So for those of us who believe in Jesus, we're called to live like we believe there is goodness in the world. Heaven, see, is not up there. It's not out in the future somewhere. It's here, within us, 
among us. Like a garden filled with promise, there is a lot of promise in this place. Amen. I want to ask us, if you will, to just take a minute to think about maybe the ways that we have missed the promises of God because we've been looking for problems. I'm thankful and hope that you recommended this song. You stand and let's sing together our response, our hymn in the red book this time. It's number 29, Morning Has Broken.